So as we dive into uh, the week where we are studying Romans chapter 5, just like what we've been doing all along is I invite you to open up the scriptures for yourself. There's power. The Holy Spirit leads us uh, to look at the scripture ourselves, and there's power in that. So if you'll pull your phones or your, uh, your Bibles and take a look at Romans chapter 5 with me, we're going to start with prayer and dive in. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to just stop and focus on your grace and on your mercy and on the purpose that you've set us aside for. Uh, just in our conversations today, God, we've been talking about how you've been building connections between each of us and our neighbors or people at work or friends that we haven't spoken with before on a spiritual level. You've been doing that work in us now that we are aware of what you do through those relationships, how your kingdom grows through them. You've been opening up the possibilities for conversation and showing them to us in ways that maybe we haven't seen before. And through this series and through this study, you're giving us the actual language. You're giving us the truth to share and to speak into someone's life who maybe thinks that either there is no God or that God doesn't love them or that God didn't send his son for them or that God's son didn't do what was required to build a connection with them and show them his love. So you've shown us that here in this series thus far. And so we ask that you build on that truth and build on that knowledge and on that experience that we share here today. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Hey, by the way, uh, the email blast that I sent out yesterday, the discipleship visit, don't be scared to get a discipleship visit from Pastor Mike. That is not the religious police coming to police your spiritual life. What that is, is us sitting down and me sharing with you the discipleship path that Pastor Mark talked about in the Connect video today. So my task is to grab the biggest napkin I can find in your kitchen, pull a pen, and draw the discipleship path and show you what God has revealed to us as to how he intends for Trinity to grow as disciples who make disciples. So I'd ask you to take a look in your junk box, your junk email box for an email from TSN. If you didn't see the email overtly, or if you saw it, reply back and share with me some times that would be good for us to sit down. And by that, I mean like a specific day of the week that might be better than others for me to meet with you and family or a specific time of day. And the weekends and the evenings are open. So you can definitely reach out and say, hey, a particular Tuesday night or Wednesday night in the future might work for me. So the reason we're getting into that and the reason we're growing as disciples who make disciples is because of some of the stuff that we're going to be sharing in the reading today. And if you've got Romans chapter 5 in front of you, what you're going to see is a repeat of some of the uh, concepts that we've been talking about over the last several weeks. Concepts like justification. Now, if you remember what justification is, that's where you realize and you know, based on the whole counsel of Scripture, that we are conceived in sin and that sin separates us from a holy God because God cannot be around sin as he is holy. This is why he sent his son Jesus as both human and God. Jesus, 100% human, and 100% God. Jesus dying on the cross and then rising from the grave won for us what theologians call justification in the eyes of God. What that means is, is that our sins are paid for. They're wiped away and they're removed from us 
from our record in the spiritual world as far as the east is from the west. And so as we're focusing on Romans chapter 5 today and specifically zooming in on some focus verses, you're going to find sort of the focus material in verses 1 and 2. And here's how that goes up on the screen. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, and you guys know what that means now, right? We've been justified by trusting in Jesus, his death and his resurrection. Since you have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now, what you're going to see on the screen, if you can see this or you're listening by podcast, there are three key concepts typically each week that we're going to zoom even further in on, and they're going to be bolded on the screen. The first one is peace with God. The second one is the access that we gain into God's presence. And the third is the idea and the concept of boasting in the hope of the glory of God. Boasting in the hope of the glory of God. So what I'd invite you to do is, as you're looking on your mobile device, if you've got the opportunity to take notes, do that. If you've got a Bible and a pen and you'd like to take notes in the margins, do that. As we dive into the first concept here about dealing with peace with God. Well, now, this weekend, of course, we are celebrating Memorial Day. But now, celebrating is a really weird word for Memorial Day, isn't it? Because Memorial Day is a special day that we celebrate the lives of people who've served in the armed forces and made the ultimate sacrifice. It's different from Veterans Day. Because on Veterans Day, we reach out to people who are what? Who are currently serving and or who have served in the past. And we say thank you. Thank you for serving and being a veteran. But on Memorial Day, we are specifically remembering those people who have served to the extent that they were called to make the ultimate sacrifice. And we understand that that's them giving their lives in the line of duty. And every context that you see people who've given their lives in the line of duty falls under is typically in or around warfare. There's some kind of battle in our history. There's some kind of war going on and someone's in a battle and loses his or her life. Now, maybe they're not engaged in battle at the moment when they lose their lives. Maybe they end up in a hospital or maybe they're in the service corps. They're alongside what's going on in the battlefield and they just happen to lose their lives. But if they're engaged in the armed services and lose their lives and we recognize them on Memorial Day, it's a day where we stop and remember that ultimate sacrifice. But the idea carries over into the concept of what Jesus did which is why this is really, really good timing for this weekend and for our study, because we understand that Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice for us. And that's what justified us in the eyes of God. But it's even more timely because you may or may not realize that the reason Jesus needed to make that sacrifice for us is because the scripture says that we were once enemies with God. We had enmity between us and God. Being conceived in sin means that we were enemies with God. And in fact, if we never hear or understand or receive the truth that Jesus died for us and rose again from the grave, we could stay enemies with God for our entire lives. Now, let me ask you a question. 
How do enemies treat each other? How do they treat each other? Do they sit down and have conversation about the difficulties between them, the conflict between them? Well, if they're trying to negotiate peace, they do. But by and large, how do enemies treat each other? Badly, right? They are at war. They're in conflict with each other. And the scripture says that we are conceived in sin and by default enemies with God based on the sin that runs our lives. And what happens is when we run up against the truth of Jesus and Jesus becomes real for us and we understand that Jesus died for my sin along with the sins of the whole world, but particularly for mine as well, we understand that that sacrifice of Jesus made peace with God, that we are no longer God's enemies and we no longer consider God an enemy. If you want more proof of this, scan on down to verse 9 in Romans chapter 5. Look at what it says there. Since we have now been justified by his blood, Jesus' blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath, his holy anger through Jesus? For if while we were God's enemies, and the Bible uses that word, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Now, what this means is for us, it's a functional peace. We are literally not just told once that we are at peace with God and good luck with the rest of your life. We are told, practically and pragmatically speaking, we are at peace with God, and so now we can live a life full of peace with God. Now think about what that means. It means that you no longer have to worry about God being displeased with you, even when you sin. Now let me say that again. Even when you choose to sin, even when you fall off the wagon, even when you make a mistake and it becomes sin, even in the moment when you are angry and choose to sin. God never says, don't be angry. He just says what? In your anger, do not sin. Even when that happens, God says we are covered by the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so God is never against us, but as the scripture says, God is for us. Now, if you think about it long enough and begin to walk in such a way that you understand what that means every day, it changes your whole life. It changes the way you approach your neighbors or coworkers or friends or family who don't have a functional relationship with God. Here's what that means. It means that you have the ability to share the good news with them that we together, you and I, together are no longer God's enemies. We are his children. He has not only made peace with us, but he's adopted us into his family. He's made peace with us, and he's given us access into his presence, which is holy. Now, think of this idea of gaining access with God, maybe in this way. The scripture says, through Jesus Christ, we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Do you realize that in your faith, 
you actually stand in God's grace. So every day when you wake up and you brush your teeth and you take a shower and you fix your hair and you put your clothes on and you go down and fix breakfast and you head off to work or school or your day or whatever that looks like, you dwell in the presence of God's grace. It's like you throw yourself into a swimming pool in summertime and you're immersed in the water. That grace covers every nook and cranny of you, doesn't it? Just like the water does in the pool. The grace of God covers you. It completely surrounds you and you walk in it. Think of it this way. Uh, there was a famous wedding you may have heard of this past couple of weeks. And uh, our friend Oprah here was at it. Uh, we also saw that the Beckhams came to the wedding. And we also saw that the Clooney's were there. And we also saw that this random couple who I think is named on the internet, but I have no idea who they are, came as well. Um, maybe she's pregnant. Maybe they're laughing about expecting a new baby. Maybe they're just joyous because they got to come to the royal wedding. So who got married? Harry. Prince Harry and Meghan, who's an American. So we had Americans and British and people from all over the world coming to the wedding and enjoying their time there. But what you find at the wedding, which is really cool, is that people had different levels of access to the wedding. Now, Megan's mom got to ride with her in the car to the wedding. Not everybody got to ride in the car, did they? Megan's mom did, which was very special and very appropriate. Everybody else had to stand in line and bring their tickets. Even people who are considered American royalty or celebrities had to come and stand in line and be approved to enter the event. And when Meghan and Harry got up front to the altar, not everybody joined them at the altar. Everybody got to be in their presence and witness the wedding ceremony, but only one other person really got to be up there on the altar with them to do the ceremony. It was the bishop right? So there are different levels of access available to people in regards to the execution of the wedding. Now, the research says, according to Nielsen, that about 29 million people watched the wedding where? On their TV or mobile devices. So that was one level of access. And then you had celebrities from Hollywood and British royalty and such, and they had a different level of access. And then you had some family members who had different levels of access. And then you had the bishop who had probably the highest level of access, right? But then Macon and Harry had the highest level of access because they were actually in the wedding. Think about it in, in those terms. It's almost like with God, he's perfect and holy and set apart in holiness but because of his son, Jesus, he calls us the bride of Christ. He brings us into his very presence and weds us to Jesus in the spiritual world. And this is a marriage that is not subject to falling apart. It's a marriage that is not subject to divorce. It's permanent and holy. And you and I have been brought into that relationship with our Lord Jesus. We have access all the way to the top. 
And that access is not dependent upon what we do or don't do, is it? It's access that's been granted to us from on high. Now, maybe George Clooney wanted to be on the altar with Megan and Harry. We don't really know. But he wasn't given that access, was he? Why? Because he wasn't involved in the marriage itself. You and I, we don't have to wait in line. We don't have to try to perform to be good enough. We are given access to God. We are given direct access to his presence based on what Jesus did for us. So that means you really don't have to buy a Harry or Meghan mask and try to pretend that you need to be on the altar. You don't have to pretend to be something that you're not because your access has been won for you. You are free to be who you are in the presence of God. And when God puts you in front of other people who don't have that truth, who don't have that Savior, who don't have that relationship and intimacy with God, when he puts those people in front of you, this is the message he's sharing in you and through you. He's sharing with them through you that God loves you so much that he gives you his son And he takes you right to the top. And there's nothing you can do to break that relationship. And it is permanent, now and forever. Amen. And what that does for us is it gives us the opportunity to change the way we speak and change the way we see God at work in our lives. I want to share with you this kind of last idea here, the idea of boasting in the hope of the glory of God. When's the last time you boasted about something? Maybe you were at a sporting event. Maybe you looked a little like this. Maybe your team was winning and you got a chance to cheer for them. And as you were coming out of the the sporting event, you got a chance to say, man, they were on fire today. Man, they were just performing the best that they possibly could. They couldn't have done any better and they won. Sometimes we're tempted to think, that we got to be that way about our faith and that that looks crazy to the people God has put us in front of. Well, the truth is, that is true. You don't have to be a crazy fanatic when you're with people who need to hear from God. You simply are who you are. You are simply there in the moment being who you are in the kingdom of God. We look at it like Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. And then look at that last line and say it with me, will you? But do this with gentleness and respect. So what does that mean? It means that we're not coming out of the Crosstown Classic screaming at each other about who won and who lost. It doesn't mean we approach people who have no relationship with God and say to them things like, turn or burn. We don't say to them things that push them away. That's why we do what we call ELI, entertaining, listening, and inviting. Here at South Naperville, that's a tactic we use. It's called pragmatics. It's a tool we use to be able to reach out to people who don't have a relationship with God. 
the inviting that we're doing is not necessarily inviting people to come here on Sunday morning. The inviting is inviting people into conversation or inviting people to be prayed for by me with a 20 or 30 second prayer. It's the idea of inviting people to the wedding, the wedding feast, the wedding ceremony, to the altar, to God's table. It's the idea of inviting people into God's presence because God's presence has been given to us. And so the boasting that the scripture talks about is not boasting because we have won and they have not. The boasting is that we have a God we can be proud of because he's a God of love and gentleness and respect. And he gives us these relationships so that we can pass love on in a way that can be felt by the other person. If you try to love somebody by beating them into submission, it is not received as love, is it? It's received as an attack, as if you're at war, in a conflict. But if you share love with someone in a way that is gentle and respectful, is the love able to get through your messaging? Yes, it is. That's how God's love operates. And so that's why when we approach folks, we entertain them, we give them our time, and we set aside an opportunity to maybe share food or share a drink with them. We listen to what's going on in their life, and then we invite them into conversation. Maybe that conversation's a short prayer, or maybe it's just passing back and forth what God is doing in our lives or in the lives that they're living. But the idea is that we have the opportunity to boast in the Lord and to be a party to what God's already doing in their life. Do you notice that when Jesus said this very famous verse, and this is in Matthew chapter 5, he said, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. Another older translation says, I will make you fishers of what? Of men. And we understand that to mean men and women and children, all people, right? I will make you fishers of people. When's the last time you went fishing? Now, it could have been yesterday, or maybe it was years ago. How did that go for you? Did you catch anything? Now, if you didn't catch anything, did you quit fishing? No, because when you fish, you keep trying, right? And sometimes when you cast the net or cast the line, you get a fish and you bring it out, and that kind of instant gratification makes you want to go back and do more, right? But if you don't catch a fish, do you quit fishing? If you like fishing, you don't quit. You go back and you try again, right? Why would Jesus use that analogy with us about being fishers of people? Because he understands how fishing works. We're not hunting for people. We're not putting people in the crosshairs <laughs> and trying to religiously take them out. We're fishing for them, which means we're luring them by God's love. And it means we may not catch them. And if we don't catch them, it's okay because it's God who's the one who's drawing them into the net. 
Think about the story of Jesus on the seashore and the disciples being frustrated by their fishing experience and catching nothing for a day and night. And then Jesus says, cast the net on the other side of the boat. They knew that there were no fish on the other side of the boat. They thought he was crazy, but they cast that net and what happened? The Bible records that 153 fish entered that net. Why? Because God had the power to draw them into the net. That power doesn't have to reside with you. The Holy Spirit works in you. And God does the drawing of people. He is the one who's on the hook for that. So when you think about living your life as a member of the kingdom of God, and you think about people being drawn into that net through your life, which is a part of your life and the calling that you've received from God. Take the pressure off. Just be who you are and God will draw into the net who he wants. And if you don't see instant results, don't be discouraged because God is working in you and through you whether you realize it or feel it or not. And at the right moment, at just the right time, he will draw the right person into that net. Think of it as fishing and it'll take the pressure off you to perform and recognize that the performance is God's. That changes the way we talk about God. It changes the way we position him in front of other people. And we can actually say to people, you know what? Whether you feel it or not, God is good and he is there for you. And he loves you. And he has given everything for you. How can I pray for you right now about this thing that you've shared with me? We not only say that God is good, but because of the Holy Spirit's work in us, we demonstrate it. And when God wants those people to come into his kingdom, what's he going to do? He's going to draw them into the net. So let that shape and mold and configure your language. Let your trust in the future glory of God, where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Let that shape how you see that event as a beautiful thing that's guaranteed and coming and a beautiful thing that God wants as many people as possible to join you in, which is why he has you fishing for people. Whose power is it that makes the fish come? It's God's power, isn't it? Who's there with the net? You are. And the net is cast with gentleness and respect. When it's cast, God works in it and through it by the power of his son, Jesus. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes, and pray with me, and we're going to get ready to welcome the kids back in. Dear God, thank you for your power. Thank you for your might. And thank you for your gentleness and respect. Thank you for leading me into a life of gentleness and respect when sharing the good news of the hope I have, the guarantee I have of your coming kingdom. You are already putting me in front of people. You've already placed me in the lives of people that you want to speak to and reach out to with this net of the good news of Jesus. 
God, I confess to you that a lot of times I despair about sharing the good news of Jesus because I don't feel like I know what to say or I don't feel like I know who you want me to share that message with. But as you teach me and lead me, God, that the people that you want me to share that message with are people who already share in my life. Let that message sink in. Let me understand the full access to your power and your grace that I have because of Jesus. Let me receive that message with my whole heart. Work in me, God. Guide me into those relationships. Show me the power of gentleness and respect as a part of your love. And let me see fruit as you have defined it. People who fall in love with you and come in to your kingdom through the net of the power of the message of Jesus Christ. God, we love you and we thank you. And we look forward to amazing things in you as a part of your kingdom. In your name we pray and together we say, amen and amen.